0: Hello, and welcome back to Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch myself, Roland Hume, get to discuss the crazy business of self-publishing with some very special guests. And today we have a returning guest who is a very, very special indeed. It's Alex Curvo, who you might remember from the podcast in which we spoke about her book, The Big Picture Revision Checklist, where she went through all of the, the different ways in which an author should revise their book, which was fantastic. It was one of our favorite podcasts. But the thing is, at the very end, she teased a little about um, raising the stakes in fiction, some other things, some other elements we were really excited to talk about. And so we are very happy to have you back to do exactly that. Alex, how are you doing today?
1: I'm well. How are you today?
0: Not too bad. Hanging in there. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, uh, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems Books and an author himself, Craig Touch. How are you doing today, Craig? doing great. Thanks, Roland. And thanks, Alex, for coming
2: back. So yeah, like, uh, like Roland said, uh, at the end, when you sort of talked about this other book that you have, which is based on raising stakes. And um, that is always something that I think authors really, um, it's important to incorporate into your book to always sort of be raising stakes. But I'm going to let you sort of tell us what that means, because I'm sure that you will do a much better job of describing what that means. Uh, than I would, but um uh, and then we can go from there, but so yeah, let's tell us a bit about what raising six means about your book, and then you know we'll go from there,
1: okay, well, when writer let's start with definitions, let's just start there, um because when writers um start learning the craft of writing and they start looking at how-to books or they like take classes and they learn about story stakes. Um, Everyone I think is pretty familiar with the two kinds of story stakes. There's the external stakes and the internal stakes. So the external stakes are like the concrete goal that the hero has. So you have to win the Hunger Games or you have to um, survive the, the tour of the chocolate factory with the children disappearing, whatever that concrete goal is. And then the internal stakes, which are the thing that's missing from the hero's life. So that's usually a very abstract thing like um, love or belonging or community or, you know, happiness. It's not it's not something that you can point to. It's not something that's the answer to a yes or no question. Um, You can also sort of think of it in terms of wants and needs. So what a hero wants is the external goal. And what they need is the, is the internal stakes. So the external stakes and the internal stakes. A great example of that is um, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, where Ebenezer Scrooge wants money. He, he works all the time. He even works on Christmas Day because he just wants money. But what he needs is love. What he needs is human connection and to be connected with his family and with his community. So I think a lot of us are familiar that with those, and we know that we have to have those two kinds of stakes in our stories. But there's a third kind of stakes that a lot of people don't talk about. It gets a, um, doesn't get a lot of attention with how-to books and classes. But that third kinds of stakes is still really, really important. And that's the personal stakes. Those are the stakes that come right at the beginning of a novel, um, before the midpoint. Um, And when a hero starts out the book, they're usually only concerned with these smaller personal stakes the bigger external stakes and the bigger internal change that they're going to go through, that doesn't come until later. They start out with sort of a much smaller goal. Um, Like, for example, in The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy just wants to go home. She doesn't have this goal of like, killing the witch and like basically you know having regime change in Oz. she just you know she's just like I'm just I just gotta go home. I'm just gonna follow the uh, the yellow brick road to the Emerald City and I'm gonna go home. Or um, like in Jurassic Park, Dr. Grant just wants to um, he's digging for fossils in Montana and his dig is really underfunded. and he just wants money to complete this dig. He doesn't really want to go to Costa Rica and like run away from, you know, dinosaurs that are trying to eat him. That's not what he wants. He just wants to fund his dig. So when Hammond comes to him and says, hey, if you come and look at my dinosaur park, I'll give you money for your dig. He agrees to it. So these smaller goals at the beginning of your story are super important because they'll help to bring your reader on board. These are smaller goals. These are really relatable goals. And it's something that the reader will understand and relate to so that later on, when the dinosaurs escape from their cages and are eating everyone, the (laughs) the reader's going to really, really be invested. And here's where I think writers get into trouble because they're told constantly that they have to raise the stakes. They're told that they have to start out with these big, important things, and then they have to continually raise the stakes through the story. But it's not really true. Um, The big, important stakes don't really come in until right around midpoint. That's when those bigger stakes come into play. I mean, that's when Dorothy finds out that the wizard isn't going to send her home unless she gets the broomstick. That's when the, you know, the dinosaurs escape from their cages and start eating everyone in Jurassic Park. And that's when the children start disappearing in the factory tour in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So when people say raise the stakes, they're really talking about revealing those stakes at midpoint. So that's usually the time when you want to really make those big, big stakes come into the foreground. Um, I think the problem is, I mean, I I have gone to writers' conferences. I have sat on panels with other editors and with agents. I have read their blogs. And a lot of them are like, oh, those... Those, those main stakes have to be apparent right in chapter one. But that really isn't true. I mean, if you just go to your own bookshelf and you look at the bestsellers on your bookshelf, you'll see that they all start with those smaller personal stakes. Wow. So before I go any further, <laughs> I feel like I've been talking a long time. I might, you know, pause for a second, ask if Have any questions?
0: Yeah, as a writer, I I really appreciated that. I just wanted to say, like that was like putting it like that. I'm like, I was thinking of all the different stories which I really like, and you're right, there have been those those goals that resonate with you, and you you make they make the character relatable because they're kind of like achievable, and then it's like whoop, something much more serious. So I thought that was amazing.
2: Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I haven't really thought about when I think about stakes. Well, first, I think Omaha, you know, or, but but no, when you think about stakes, I haven't really thought about it in terms of like, that's the goal. I haven't sort of equated it as the same thing as like the goal of the story. Like, you know, I've been reading a lot of um, make my way through the Lee Child, uh, Jack Reacher books. And so a lot of that, well, in those books, you usually have no idea at the beginning of the book what it's even about, right? It's Jack Reacher's. You know, walking down the street, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, every book he gets involved in some massive conspiracy or whatever. But, but in his, you know, you, uh, you're never really sure what those stakes are going in, right? And it, going chapter chapter you see those stakes getting raised like, oh, first, like, oh, let's do this thing. You know, this person got kidnapped and then he gets kidnapped and then he, you know, and then he's got to break out and then, uh, oh, but now they're going to kill this person and the stakes get raised that way. Right. Um, but I think in most books, yeah, you you sort of go in knowing what that that big stake is. And then as the book goes, you progress to the with the different stakes. And and I I, I agree that is the way it should go um so yeah it's it's interesting though i never really thought about it in terms of like goals and the the equation to to the goal
0: of the story being mistakes as well so it's, it's interesting. i do remember what what you said at the very beginning about the difference between wants and needs and i've always thought uh like it's resonated with me that that uh what a character wants isn't a great idea for a story what a character needs is But then it's interesting to bring in this new element. And I'd never thought about it in terms of like the external factor is what he wants or she wants. And the internal factor is what she needs. And I think that's another brilliant piece of advice that makes you kind of ask some questions about your ideas for a story.
1: Right. And if you're having trouble distinguishing between sort of what my character wants and what my character needs, sort of the easy way to think about it is um, put it in terms of a yes, no question. If you can answer it with a yes or a no, that's an external stake. You know, like, will Frodo throw the cursed ring into Mount Doom? Yes or no? Or, you know, will Emma marry Mr. Knightley who lives next door. Yes or no, that's a yes or no question. But as far as the internal stakes with that need, that's not really something you can answer with a yes or no question. Um, You know, you can say, oh, this person wants happiness, or they want safety, or they want security. Well, what does happiness mean? And happy for how long? And you know, you can, it's not something that you can point to. It's not concrete. So usually, the internal stakes and the external stakes are in direct opposition from one and to to one another. So you've got you know Scrooge who wants money but he needs love, or um, in like let's say um, let's say The Martian by Andy Weir. Um, you know what he wants is to go home, right? What he wants, or really what he wants is to survive Mars, you know, and to get off the planet. But what he needs is really that, that community. He needs to be together with other humans. So, you know, he has to have, you have to achieve the one by achieving the other.
2: Yeah. It always reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you guys studied this in school, the, or Maslow's hierarchy of needs right and that little mm-hmm. pyramid that they had yep. and it was you know the uh, you know, like love and belonging the uh, yeah well I don't even know if food was in there uh, <laughs> you know it was, it was like psychological needs and self-esteem and love and belonging which is like what you're saying with uh, the Martian I think he needed that love and belonging that need for people right mm-hmm. and I think at the top was like a self-actualization you know there's mm-hmm. your your becoming a better person or, or understanding your role in life and this and that. And so, yeah, yeah, for sure. So those are definitely uh, what a lot of good stories with good characters are always working on sort of the character growing through those, meeting those internal needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how does one raise the stakes properly throughout their story?
1: The best way to raise the stakes is to make the consequences for failure worse. So humans, uh, I mean, our fictional characters are humans, and humans are scared and lazy creatures, and we're not going to shake up the status quo unless we have to. So, you know, you have to kind of force your heroes into doing these things by making failure not be an option. Like I always say, there's no backseas in fiction. (laughs) Once you, you know, once once Dorothy sets foot on that yellow brick road, she's on a one-way trip to the Emerald City. Or um, in the Hunger Games, once Katniss raises her hand and says, I volunteer as tribute, you know, they put her on TV and they give her a new dress and they ship her off to the Capitol and she really can't change her mind. So once those once you reach the midpoint and those really big stakes have sort of come to the forefront, um the hero or heroine has to sort of realize at that point that oh my gosh, I can't fail at this. I'm going to be worse off than when the story began, if I fail. The stakes in every story are life and death of some kind. It doesn't have to be literal, life or death. It can be symbolic. It can be death of a relationship. It can be death of you know, uh, you're, you're standing in the community. It can be death of your freedom, but there has to be some kind of life or death stakes in every book.
2: Wow. And that's like in the Jack Reacher books, like I mentioned, those are <laughs> usually very literal. <laughs> They're very like, he's going to die if he doesn't do this. Somebody's going to die if he doesn't Somebody's do this, gonna right? die. But yeah, that, that, so like, if you were to look at different, uh, genres, if you were to look at romance, for instance, then often it's probably the relationship side of it, the death yep. of a relationship or, uh, the, uh, um, uh, whether, or, or the inability to, to even start a new relationship or maybe it's the, or the death of, uh, not necessarily in romance, but in probably a lot of different genres, the death of, uh, the kind of person you were, um, mm-hmm. And the kind of person you want to be, you know, all that sort of thing where it's more internal because that's a lot of times there's that, that personal growth that we were saying uh, throughout the story. And so a lot of that is, is probably life and death in a, in a non-literal sense. Right.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. That that makes sense. But yeah. So would you say it's um, in a lot of stories it's one, you know, one raising of the stakes or is it this, you know, step ladder of stakes? that just keep going, keep raising, keep raising. Like I know again, in the Jack Reacher books, I think it's more of that stepladder, but I don't know if that's the way it is in most, you know, the thrillers, sure. But I mm-hmm. don't know if in, in other genres,
0: maybe there's less. Anne of that. Green Gables. I was just thinking that's a, or there are other books, I guess that don't have life or death, but they kind of do. Cause I guess it's like the character's life.
1: Hmm. And I haven't read Anne of Green Gables, I, I confess. So, um, I, I don't know what's at stake in those stories, but I bet if you look, you'll find life or death stakes of some kind, whether it's, you know, a relationship or it's, you know, her sense of self or her standing in the community. Um, a lot of coming of age books, which I think Anna Green Gables is um, the life or death stakes are, you know, is she going to come of age and be an independent adult?
0: Yeah, you know, I just read Catcher in the Rye and I was trying to put that in the same thing. And that's exactly it. It's like, OK, there aren't any life or death stakes in terms of somebody dying. But it's like, is this guy going to be a useless bum or is he going to find his find some purpose?
1: Right. Right. So sometimes they're a little more subtle in some of the genres. Um, you know, like like Craig was saying, like with thrillers, it's pretty obvious that the life or death is going to be literal life or death. You know, that is, is Jack Reacher going to die in this situation or, you know, in The Hunger Games, is Katniss going to die or in Jaws? Like, are they going to kill the shark or are they going to be killed by it? Um, but it, its it can also be symbolic in a lot of a lot of genres. So I think um, I think where where writers get into trouble is when they sort of tie themselves into knots trying to, you know, figure out how and when and where to raise the stakes. Um, speaking of thrillers, the best title for a thriller novel ever. I will I will stand by this. The best title that a thriller book ever had was a book by Tom Clancy and it's called "A Clear and Present Danger. That is the perfect title because it says what's in it. It says what the stakes are going to be. Stakes always have to be clear. The reader has to know what's at stake, which you would think would be obvious, but you would be surprised. I work as an editor. A lot of times books come to me for editing and I am not sure what's at stake. So... The external stakes have to be very, very clear. And they have to be present. This has to be something that's happening right now. This has to be something with a deadline. You know, like in Jaws, they have to kill the shark before it takes out another swimmer on Amity Island. Or uh, in The Martian, um, Mark Watney has to... Uh, get off of Mars before he starves to death. So there has to be a deadline involved. So that that's the present part. And then the danger part is the part we talked about, those life or death consequences that, you know, that if you fail, you are going to be worse off than when the story began. So if you're having trouble with your stakes, just think of that Great book by Tom Clancy, A Clear and Present Danger.
0: Yeah, Craig, I don't know if you felt the the same way, but when you were saying this is the best title of a book ever, I was like, okay, what's this going to be? And you built it up so much. I thought it would have to be uh, like a a letdown. But no, that was that worked. That was like, oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's
2: I felt like it was a bit on the nose, right? Like, I mean, uh, that
1: that title is so on the nose. Yeah, but it sold millions of copies. They made a movie out of it starring Harrison Ford. It clearly worked. And I don't know if Tom Clancy came up with this title or if that was his editor or his publishing house, but they certainly knew what they were doing and they knew how to reach thriller audiences.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, speaking of titles, so you, the bu- your book about mm-hmm. raising the stakes is called mm-hmm. No Hero Wants to Save the World. So yes. what, um, you know, the, isn't that what heroes want to do? Right. So what is what it, what do you mean by that title? What is uh, what what's behind that?
1: So I called my book No Hero Wants to Save the World because heroes don't. They really don't. It seems like that's what a hero wants to do. But really, heroes are only concerned at the outset with that small personal problem that we talked about earlier. Um, You know, um, Alan Grant just wants to dig for fossils and Dorothy just wants to go home. Um, And even in The Hunger Games, Katniss just wants to save her sister that's really all that, that she wants to do is just keep her sister safe. Um, usually these things that happen to our heroes and heroines are the worst case scenario. Literally the worst thing that could ever happen to them just happened to them. I mean, when when Katniss is at the Reaping and they pull her twelve-year-old sister's name out of the hat and says you're going to be in the Hunger Games, that's literally the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to her. Um, in the Wizard of Oz, you know, Dorothy did not want her house to be blown to Oz. Uh, in the Martian, um, Mark Watney didn't want to be stranded on Mars and left for dead. These are always the worst things that could ever happen to these people. And so they don't set out wanting to save the world. But these horrible things happen to them and they're like, well, I guess it's up to me. I'm going to have to be the one to do it. You know, I mean, once once those dinosaurs are out and start eating people in Jurassic Park, I mean, Alan Grant doesn't really have a choice here. He's going to have to try to save those little kids and save himself from these dinosaurs. Um, so, um, I would yeah, say if, you're, if your superhero yeah. is jumping into something like willingly, um, that's just that's just not so. Like, who would do that?
2: Superheroes. <laughs> Superheroes? That's, the, that's mm-hmm. the one case. You know, once was- you started saying that. I started yeah. thinking back to all the all the different books I've read, fantasy and science mm-hmm. fiction and uh, thrill, even thrillers, even with Jack Reacher. They're always, you're right, they're always this person that was picked from ob- obscurity for whatever reason and they're the ones that have to save the world and they don't necessarily know that that's what it is when they get started. Sometimes they do, you're the one, you're the chosen one, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes it's just like builds up to that and then it's like, yeah, I, go, well, I guess I'm here, I gotta do what I gotta do and whatever, right? And I, I even... Something in my head is, uh, I can't remember the which book or movie it is, but just the person com- constantly complaining, I wasn't even supposed to be here today, you know? <laughs> but oh, that was Clark's. Clerks. <laughs> Clerks. Clerks. <laughs> well, Okay. No, yeah, maybe it was that. But I feel like it was yeah. in some, something else as well, but yeah, that's true. Clerks, he does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but then, so then I'm thinking, so usually who is a hero that, that really wants to be a hero. They're always like that. And then I thought superheroes, they're they are the ones that want to be heroes.
1: But right? do they though? Okay, they don't let's... want to
2: necessarily become the hero at the beginning. Right. But once they become the hero, they take on that role. And I guess yeah. I'm thinking of it in terms of comics. Like Superman knows that he's there to save the world and he's taken on that role. And maybe that's not what he would have picked if that was his... On Kry- if on Krypton, sure. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's what made him the hero. But uh, But yeah, you're right. Like Sure, they all had their origin stories, and they weren't born into that necessarily. But but with comic books, because they're serialized, and they eventually turn into the person who knows. He's like, they have the Justice League. That's their job. I'm a hero. I do that. That's me. But you're right. At the beginning, though, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah.
1: I'm thinking about you know when you when you say superheroes, I'm thinking about the first Thor movie. And that is a great case of just starting out with the personal stakes. At the beginning, Thor thinks that he is going to go down to Earth and he's going to grab his hammer from where his father so carelessly left it. And he is going to just pick it up and he's going to fly back to Asgard. I mean, he thinks this is going to be like a five minute job like maybe 10 minutes tops. He's gonna go to Earth, grab his hammer, go home. So that's really all he's thinking about. And he thinks once he grabs that hammer from Earth that he's gonna go right back to Asgard and be king. Of course, by the midpoint, Um, you know, his brother has taken over the throne and all the nine realms are like at war. And like his dad is like out of commission. And like, by the midpoint, he realizes that, you know, it's up to him that he really has to save all the realms. But that's not what he starts out thinking.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's true. I I think uh, most of them, they're reluctant at the beginning and then they sort of get into it like all the avengers i guess even in those things sometimes you have that person who really says he wants to be hero so he wants the power and this and that and then it ends up corrupting them and
0: you know they become the villain usually
2: (laughs) those people that are
0: searching it out right i think in some ways thor is kind of a a twist on that because he's like he wants to be the hero but he's a reluctant hero because he wants to be the hero and it's like look this is something in which you actually get to be a hero but it's like because it's not what he imagines it's going to be. He doesn't yeah. want to be the hero in that scenario. Whereas, to your point, Greg, I guess Thanos thought he was the hero, didn't he? He thought he was saving.
2: Well, the, yeah, there's there's that saying uh, everybody's the hero of their own story, right? So, yeah. they, you know, Thanos, no, most villains aren't thinking of themselves as villains. They're thinking of themselves as, you know, they're right and what they're doing is right and everyone else is wrong. But, you know, it's all perspective. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so in your in your book, then uh, you go through, I guess, the different types of stakes, the different ways to raise the stakes, the different genres, right? That that mm-hmm. uh, and how to do it in different genres, right? Because it's like mm-hmm. we said, it's, it's different. Um, and then you know, and the oh yeah, and the inner stakes, the personal stakes, the outer stakes, all that stuff. So and then what else? What else can can do? People need to know to, to get through the, you know, figuring out all the stakes and yeah, that sort of thing.
1: (laughs) I'm, I'm trying to think like, what, what didn't we cover? Um, I can speak from my own experience, um, as an editor, um, and I can talk about, you know, some of the things that have, have, problems. Yeah. Like what do,
2: yeah. What do people do wrong? That's always like a great way to, to, because that, that tells people, you know, sometimes it's easier to see like uh, the ways not to do things. Right, Sometimes gives a much better example than the ways to do things, especially when people are like, Oh, I do that. (laughs) You know, and they, that might help them.
1: Right. Um, I think in some genres, um, some genres like, Thrillers or like um, science fiction and fantasy. Um, a lot of times, you know, the writers have really, really good intentions and they have really, really good instincts and their instincts say well i got to keep raising the stakes i need to keep making them bigger and bigger and bigger so you know whatever they have at the midpoint scene that's big they figure well okay for the second half of the book i need to make it even bigger yet so um you know if if at the middle of the book um you know the 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 this Village is in danger. well, we have to make it bigger. so now we have to make the whole kingdom be in danger or we have to make the whole world be in danger. Or if they're writing um, let's say they're writing something that's more on like a literary um, side of things where you know they have sort of this, um, you know, the midpoint scene is where the the wife finds out that the husband is having an affair. So, okay, now I got to make it bigger. So maybe I'll like throw in like an accidental pregnancy and, you know, maybe some STDs too while I'm at it. So, wow. (laughs) The problem with that is a lot of times these authors, you know, they're again great instincts. They're, 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 they're really, really trying to make their story work. But by making the stakes bigger, they, they neglect to make them more meaningful. So it's really, really hard for a reader to get very worked up about the fate of the whole world. It's too big. It's too abstract. You have to sort of bring it down to that human level and find out, you know, who is this really going to affect that I care about? Um, If you look at Lord of the Rings, you know, like Frodo's trying to throw that ring into Mount Doom and he wants to save all of Middle-earth. But who he's really, really trying to save are the people of the Shire, his own little village. You know, he's, he's, and he's even at the very last minute, like that's all he's thinking about is how can I save my village, my people? so bigger isn't always better if you don't have that personal connection to make it meaningful. The other thing that I see um, that I see uh, re- uh, writers do is um, I, I do see them sometimes trying to cram those uh, big external stakes right in chapter one. And it never works because those are not stakes that readers can relate to. Um, And it also sort of makes the heroes look a little silly for being so eager to run into danger. Like if they knew the real stakes up front, most of them would run in the other direction.
0: It's like we scream at the TV when like the guys in horror movies go down and yeah. check the basement or split yeah. up or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it.
1: Can you imagine? Like, let's just take let's just take Jurassic Park, like go back to that for an example. Can you imagine if Hammond went to Alan Grant and told him what the stakes were gonna be up front? If he told him, like instead of saying, like, instead of saying, Hey, do you want to go to my dinosaur park for a weekend and then go back home and dig dig for fossils if he told him the truth up front he's like hey do you want to go to my dinosaur park where there's a bunch of carnivorous dinosaurs and they're all escaped from their cages and you're gonna you're gonna like see a bunch of your friends get eaten and also there's a hurricane that cut off all power to the island and so no help is coming like grant would never take that deal Right. No, and I mean,
2: those are good ways that they've ramped up the stakes. Like in a book, you don't right. want to blow it all in the first chapter anyways, no. right? What else are you going to do for the rest of it?
1: <laughs> exactly. And that's, yeah. and that's the other problem is if you try to put your, your external stakes in chapter one, there's really nowhere for the, the book to go. So um, I see this a lot in romances, actually. Um, where they end up just kind of recycling the main conflict over and over and over because there really isn't anywhere else for the story to go.
0: That's really interesting because I read yeah. a lot of romance and I, I think that, re- that, that I recognize that.
1: Right, right. So if they had instead saved some of their, you know, kept their powder a little dry for later in the book, Um, then they wouldn't have to keep recycling the main conflict over and over, you know? And if you do end up, I mean, you can, people in, in real life, they do sort of tend to revisit the same conflicts. That's kind of what humans do, but um, you should at least be revisiting it on a different level. There should be more complications to what the, the conflict was.
2: And then I wonder too, like they're in, this is probably more, um, uh an issue in maybe fantasy books and uh, i don't know maybe some thrillers too where uh they the first book in a series Mm -hmm. has like this grand i gotta save the world thing right and then it's like but they want to do a a next book and maybe they didn't plan that way but the first book did so well and people want another book and then it's like well we just saved the world so where do we go from here (laughs) Right? Like right. how do I raise the stakes in book two? And often they can't, right? And often it's like I'll save the world again, you know <laughs> <laughs> but a different way. Yes. Uh, and I see that a lot, right? Uh especially from books. The one the one example that always comes to mind, and and listen, this, this book came out thirty two years ago. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page. Uh thirty two years ago. I read it when I was much much younger. So you know, forgive me if my memory of it is hazy, but what it always stuck with me was so the Eye of the World was the first book for the the Wheel of Time series, right? Robert Jordan's big fantasy epic was thirteen books. The guy died before it was even done. Some uh, Sanderson had to come in and finish it. Um, but what struck me at the time uh, was when he started writing it, and I've never actually even looked this up to see if it's true. In my mind, this is what happened: he was writing it as a trilogy. I'm convinced of this, and. The whole first two books, at least, were building up to this. He, it was clear it was meant to be a trilogy. It wasn't meant to be one book. He Building it up to this, like, oh, the bad guy, and we're going to defeat him, and we all have to do this, and blah, blah, blah. In the, in the halfway through, I think, book three, there was the shift <laughs> where it became but that's not the real bad guy. There's an even bigger bad guy. And I'm convinced that it was supposed to be a trilogy. And by book three, it was doing so well that his publishers were like, you can't stop now. And he's like, but I've been building up to this bad guy. And they're like, figure it out. you know. And he's like, all right, all right, but this isn't the real bad guy. Uh, it annoyed me at the time because it was just so clearly building that way in my head. And then it became but no no because it hadn't really been mentioned right until sort of maybe halfway through the third book and it was just like uh it was just that that was to me it was like I've raised the stakes to I was building up to it and now I've got to raise them even more so oh, it was a bigger bad guy and I don't know. I mean, it's, sometimes it goes too long and I think I think that that's probably a problem with with a lot of sort of series right where <laughs> you know you, you, you can't keep raising them forever at some point. You know, like you've got as high as you can, realistically, and then you've got to figure out some other way to keep raising them. Right. So that's yeah, that's got to be a common issue that you see too, I would imagine, right? Right.
1: And I mean, there's different kinds of series. Um. So there's the kind of series where it's sort of meant to be all read as one long story. So, you know, if you look at the three books in the Hunger Games trilogy, they're all meant to be read in order and read as one big story. And then there's ones like you see like with the Jack Reacher books that you mentioned or with um you know, some murder mysteries where it's it's just sort of the the monster of the week and um and we're just going to solve these smaller problems um in an episodic way. But story stakes intersect with those series in a really interesting way because when you have that episodic kind of thing where you have like a lot of the a lot of the thrillers a lot of the murder mysteries have that there's usually the usually the external stakes are solved at the end of every book so we've defeated this bad guy or we caught this murderer at the end of the book, but the internal stakes are not resolved at the end of the book and those carry over to the next book. Um, A great one that I'm thinking about is um, the Stephanie Plum books by Janet Ivanovich. And Stephanie is a bounty hunter and she's very comically bad at her job Um, And she has this kind of on-again, off-again boyfriend. Um, And so at the end of every book in the Stephanie Plum series, she always catches her bad guy. And she always solves the mystery. But her personal problems with her family and with her on-again, off-again boyfriend and with, like, the ways she's having trouble adulting, those continue. From book to book. So I always say that when the external stakes are solved, the book is over. But when the internal stakes are solved, the series is over. Because if Stephanie Plum ever did settle down with her boyfriend and, you know, solve all of her internal problems, that would be the end of the series. They wouldn't have anywhere else to go with it.
2: Right, I think that's the way Jack Reacher is, except that Mm -hmm. I don't feel like his internal stakes are ever really moving forward. (laughs) I feel like he's the same guy in every single book and it's always, there's always story stakes and, and it's not building into some grander thing. So it's, it it, it isn't, it doesn't have that same issue that I found with like Wheel of Time or, or with some fantasy novels where, you know, we've got to save the world and it takes a few books, but then when you've done it and now you want to keep going, it doesn't make as much sense. But with his, it's like, yeah, whatever this the issue is of the of the book it gets resolved he sometimes has a relationship every single girl that he meets in in these books is always good looking and is always young and is always like his type and whatever and then he meets up he hooks up with them And then it goes a separate way and nothing, I don't, I don't know. So far I'm only, I don't know, six or seven books in. I haven't noticed his character changing at all from book to book, but that's fine too, right? Like he's, they've got their story stakes and that's sort of what you're there for in a Jack Reacher book, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, but I think that you're right. In a lot of of stories, especially like romance series, standalone series, you know, you can pick it up anywhere, but, um, but the character is sort of growing and changing throughout a lot of the times or their, you know, their relationship, or sometimes they'll switch to a minor character. They become the major character in the next book. And then you watch their internal stakes yep. grow and change. Right. So that's another way of doing it.
1: Right. Jack Reacher is a very, like a, uh, I haven't read many of them, I confess, but um, he's very like a James Bond kind of character, right. Yeah. Like a little bit larger than life and like a super yes. tough guy. Um So what would happen if he ended up settling down with one of these many women that he dates throughout the book? Um, It wouldn't be the same character anymore like that. Yeah, and
2: he wouldn't be able to... To, to go on these adventures anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, part of it is he, you know, in, in James Bond, he works for an organization that'll send him on missions in, in, in the way they've got around that in the Jack Reacher books is he has no attachments. He has no property. He has no possessions. He walks around mm-hmm. wears the same clothes when he's, when they're too dirty or smelly, he throws them out and buys new ones. Like it's wow. he literally doesn't travel with anything. Uh, mm-hmm. And, but he just, ends up always getting into these crazy adventures, <laughs> but, but yeah, you're right. If he was to settle down, that would kind of have to stop. And in fact, in one of the, the books, he, you know, he meets a girl and, and it seems like, Oh, they're going to get together. And by the end of the book, you know, they are, they're kind of living together and you're like, well, oh, I wonder how this is going to work. And then in the next book, you know, they break up. So it's like, okay, that's
1: right. You know, because you know. if he were to settle down, it would make him vulnerable. Right. Because the bad guys could get to him through her.
2: Right. And that's, oh. I think that is spoiler alert. I think that is what happened in that book is like, they did try to get after her and that's why the superheroes always, you know, have their secret identities. Right. So that, yeah, people don't find their families. <laughs> yep. But yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that it sounds like there are a lot of different ways to sort of handle it when you're mm-hmm. doing it in one story or you're doing it in a series, you're doing it in a standalone series, you're doing it in an interconnected series. You know, it sounds like there are quite a lot of ways to raise the stakes,
1: <laughs> right? And genre plays a huge role in in how you're going to do it. Every genre handles stakes differently. You know, um, you know, in thrillers, it usually is life or death. In romance, it's the death of a relationship. And the really big place that we see it is in the resolution you can really, really tell what genre you're reading based on how they resolve the stakes. Because um, in genres like a thriller or like um, some science fiction and fantasy, um, you have to resolve the stakes by defeating the bad guy. Either killing them, putting them in jail, stopping their evil plan, whatever it is, the good guys are going to win and the bad guys are going to lose. That is how you resolve those stakes. Like there really isn't any other way to do it in, a, in that kind of genre. But in other genres like romance, literary fiction, women's fiction, young adult, usually they don't want to defeat the antagonist they want to reconcile with the antagonist. And of course, romance is the classic. You can totally see this because the two halves of the couple are going to reconcile at the end through a grand gesture and declarations of love. Um, But you also see this a lot in literary fiction and women's fiction. A lot of those stories are family stories. So it's usually like adult children having trouble with their parents or it's, you know, parents having trouble with their children. So it's usually a family story or it's like a really tight knit community story. Um, And in that case, they're not trying to defeat the people. They're not trying to defeat their mother or their child or whoever their, their, their sibling or whoever they're in conflict with. The resolution of those stakes are reconciliation, new understanding, you know, and finally, like, finally understanding my mother for the first time or something like that. Um, And, you know, and sort of that peace and harmony being restored. So that is sort of the goal of resolving those stakes.
0: That's fascinating it's i i don't know i hopefully a lot of people listening to this have like taken something away because i know i have and i've like spent just like you i've spent a lot of time like researching stories and how story structure works and stuff like this but you've added some very interesting new elements so i might have to go and check out your book further than we i do you know i think you sent us a copy of your first one i don't know if you sent us a copy of this one i did she did she did yeah (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm I
2: think you were on that, but it was a while back. It was right after we recorded the first one. Uh, and so,
0: yeah. I'm sorry. My kids literally went back to school yesterday. So like <laughs> my brain has been mashed potato for the last three months. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's no, my I,
2: I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, I, I think that there's a lot to take away from here. And no matter what genre you're writing, there's, there's, you know, so many different ways to take, I I think that's the important thing. A lot of people, you know, they talk about wanting to do things differently and, you know, they want to be unique and this and that. But there's a lot of key things to writing and, and storytelling that really need to be there. But it doesn't they all they don't have to always be there the same way. Right. There's different paths you can take to sort of still creating a story that that works. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think the danger is that we can sometimes get a little too prescriptive and say, you know, we're breaking this down to its most simple elements. And so you have to have this element and this element and this element. But of course, within that, there is always ways to make it your own. And um, I hope in my book that I can sort of empower people to do that. Um, I've, I've sort of tried to break story stakes down into their most simple elements, but to do so in a way that people can sort of take from it and say, oh, this is how it applies to my book. This is how I can make story stakes work for me. So.
0: I think that is one wonderful. Well. Unfortunately, we are nearly at the top of the hour, so we have to cut this conversation short. But this has been a really, really educational uh, podcast, just like the last one, actually. So hopefully people have got a huge amount of value out of it. Craig, do you have any final questions before we wrap up?
2: Uh, No, I agree that I think that you have broken it down into uh, very understandable um, pieces and really shown people the ways that the the different kinds of stakes, the different genres, like it's not just... You can only do it with this genre. It's not just like, I think that is what a lot of people think about in when they just maybe think about it peripherally is, is thrillers, right? And that's where you really can, can visualize the raising of the stakes because you're thinking of it literally of life and death. And you're like, oh, now he's getting in this situation and this situation, but but it can be applied to the other genres. You just don't take it as literally. And I think that's really an, a very important takeaway for
0: people, I hope. It was for me, at least. So thanks. <laughs> That is wonderful. Well, thank you very much. And hopefully if you've been listening to this or watching it on YouTube, and you really appreciate what Alex had to say, which I'm sure you did, make sure to leave her a comment down below and let her know and ask any questions you want. We will, of course, be posting links to her book and her website. So you can go and check it out there. And uh, aside from that, we are so, so delighted to have you here, Alex. Hopefully we'll have you back one more time and stay tuned, everybody, to another episode of Fully Booked coming next week.